Thus says the Lord, beginning at verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it. I am the Lord, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near, you fugitives of the nations that have no knowledge, who carry about their wooden idol and pray to God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together who has announced this from old, who has long since declared it. It is not I. Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. May Jesus add to his word today. Amen. We are in uh, 1 Kings 18 today. We're doing a series on the life of Elijah entitled The Prayer Warrior. Each passage indicates one of the prayers that he prayed that made a decisive difference in his generation. And today we're in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be your children and to experience what you have for us and to be able to experience this together with you because many of the things that you want to do in our lives involve prayer. It involves us being motivated to ask you so that you can give us what you want to give us and that we can experience the life that you have for us. Thank you for your word now that we can look at it and uh, see more of your plan for our life and our generation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you were to make a list of all the things that would never happen, maybe the top of the list it would be uh, you becoming an Oilers fan. <laughs> would never happen, can't be imagined. Well, up near the top could also be something like uh, St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome becoming a casino and a triple-X nightclub opening in the middle of Vatican Square. That would never happen. But something like that occurred in the land of Israel during the days of Elijah. In the promised land, in the very place, the only place on this planet that was dedicated to thy will be done, thy kingdom come, in that very place, irreverence had reached epidemic proportions, and the capital city was infested with pagan priests. It was a hostile takeover of the kingdom of God by the powers and principalities of darkness. 
And outside the city were the killing fields where the evil queen Jezebel had the prophets of God slaughtered, all the ones that she could get her hands on. You see, in a time of darkness, people will not tolerate light. Now, there were a number of prophets that were still at large, like Elijah. So far, he had not only escaped capture, but he fought back. From his exile, he prayed for judgment, and God sent a drought that lasted three and a half years, which turned the land of milk and honey into salt flats and tumbleweeds. That definitely got the enemy's attention. And so as this crisis was reaching a breaking point, God decided to send in the closer. Chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. If we fast forward to verse 16, it says, Ahab went to meet Elijah, and when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? It was all Elijah's fault. He was single-handedly responsible for global warming. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, if Ahab would have been smart, he would have already realized that Elijah's God was vastly superior to their incompetent, less-than-supreme being. Baal was supposed to protect them from natural disasters and acts of God. Obviously, he was a fraud. But Ahab was not smart enough to figure that out, so he needed some more evidence. So let's get ready to rumble. Verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. It was time for a smackdown. This was UFC 1, the ultimate faith challenge. And it was bigger than the Thrilla in Manila or the Rumble in the Jungle, bigger than Mayweather McGregor. Verse 20 says, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So these were the unholy all-stars. This was the A-team, the royal Gestapo. Every one of these priests had innocent blood on their hands. A total of 850 pagan priests dressed in spectacular ceremonial uniforms from the spring collection. It was an impressive sight. And they had the power play advantage. Elijah was outnumbered 850 to 1. But he wasn't intimidated. In fact, he had them exactly where he wanted them. They had all walked right into his trap. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. This was a referendum on God's existence. And most of the voters were still undecided, even after three and a half years of drought. In fact, there were only two people in the entire land of Israel who had passionate convictions about their God, Elijah and Queen Jezebel. Most of the rest were apathetic and ambivalent. 
undecided. Now, being undecided is actually a very honorable Canadian tradition, especially in our approach to religion. We've all heard our national statement of faith. You have your religion, I have my religion, I don't want to talk about it. But let me tell you what I found out about coconut oil. It changes everything. It says, Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. My religion is a private matter. I don't want to talk about it. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So what's it going to be? What kind of a challenge were they going to have? Is it going to be slingshots at 50 paces? Is it going to be a tug of war? Wait a minute, I know. Because wherever there's any kind of religious gathering, the number one question is, Where's the food? When do we eat? It's really all about food. So let's have a barbecue. Verse 23, get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set it to fire. I'll prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, not only was Elijah seriously outnumbered, but he made a very critical tactical error at this point. The God who answers by fire? Come on, man, that's, that's Baal's specialty. He's the God of fire. Elijah, what were you thinking? That would be like challenging LeBron James to a slam dunk contest. Elijah was making it way too easy for them. The God who answers by fire. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. No cheating. Apparently, these phony priests were notorious for their less-than-spontaneous combustion. But not today. This confrontation will be decided by prayer. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. What a scene. All those prophets crying out to their God. If you add it up, it works to over 1,300 hours of prayer. If this was an Olympic event, they would have been given high marks for choreography and sincerity and synchronized intercession. The only problem was they couldn't stick the landing. But there was no reply. No response, no one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. There was no answer, because they were shouting into an empty universe, calling on the name of a God who simply didn't exist. 
which is no surprise to us. In Isaiah 45, the passage that was read earlier, God says, I am the Lord. I am the righteous God, the Savior. There is no one but me. I've taken a roll call of every, every heavenly being, of angels and archangels, of cherubim and seraphim, and there's no one here by that name. You've got the wrong number. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. This still happens today. In these dark ages, many have invested their faith in pow imaginary powers that simply don't exist. Over at the university, there are brilliant professors who have put their faith in a virtual reality program called evolution. And they passionately proclaim the bale of natural selection and its false prophet, Charles Darwin. And they sincerely believe that the only plan of salvation is to genetically rewire human nature, to remove the high-voltage instincts of violence, and then we will have peace on earth, and it will be the result of genetics, not grace. And then downtown in the towering glass cathedrals, you have millionaires and billionaires congregating in boardrooms, and they call on the god of mammon, the God of materialism, believing that he has the secret of abundant life because the stock market is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Others crowd the temple of Asherah to indulge the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, to see the latest R-rated blockbuster at Cineplex. Or if you're patient, you can wait 10 years and watch it on Netflix. Idolatry is always rampant in the dark ages. Maybe that's why one of the most popular TV shows of our generation is called American Idol. And they danced around the altar they had made. Verse 27 says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Noon was when Baal's powers were supposed to be at their peak. It was now or never. Elijah began to taunt them, shout louder, he said, surely he is a god, perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling, maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now Elijah, that's not very Christian. Taunting your rivals? Shame on you. 15-yard penalty for unnecessary rudeness. That's unsportsmanlike conduct. But then again, Aren't prophets supposed to be sarcastic? Sure, because even God engages in ridicule. In Psalm 2, we read, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them and he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them. In his wrath, God says, are you kidding? You're challenging me? That's hilarious. Those who mock God will suffer worse humiliation than anything that you've seen on YouTube. Elijah said, shout louder. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Wow, these people are really serious. Their devotion was not superficial. 
They punctuated their passion with their own blood. And you still see this intensity in religion today. People of all faiths exhibit passionate zeal. They're willing to sacrifice and to suffer and even willing to die for their faith. But there was no response and no one answered and no one paid attention. Well, I know one thing for sure. If Baal is not going to answer them, it wasn't their fault. They did everything humanly possible to appeal for divine intervention. They were absolutely and utterly sincere. But sincerity does not equal salvation. You can find sincerity in every religion. The only problem is you can also be sincerely wrong. So let me ask you, why are you here? I've asked a lot of people that, and I could summarize the answers to that question like this. Why are you here? Well, I, I saw this church, and it had a steeple. And I opened the door, and there were all these people. And they were drinking coffee, and they were eating donuts. And I thought, that looks like a good way to spend a Sunday morning. And the music is really good. And they pass around a plate full of money. But I only took a $10 bill. <laughs> and, and, and there's some guy talking about God. It's not so bad. Why are you here? If there is no God, this is an absolute utter waste of time. Before you give, except for the coffee and that $10 bill. Before you get involved in any religion, you better make sure that their God actually exists. Otherwise, you are wasting your time. But he must exist. The people are so sincere. Well, so were the prophets of Baal. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. It was an absolute waste of time. But it did prove a point. You can now put Bale's picture up on the community bulletin board because he was definitely missing in action. So at this point, the false prophets had absolutely dominated the time of possession. They prayed all morning, all afternoon, right up to the evening sacrifice. It says the prophet said until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. But the game was still scoreless. And then finally, at the two-minute warning, Elijah went on the offense. From verse 30 to 35, it talks about Elijah preparing the altar and asking them to drench it with huge jars of water so that the sacrifice was wet and the wood was wet and the stones were wet. They even built a trench around the altar that was filled with the water that flowed off the sacrifice. That altar was so drenched it looked like Hurricane Armageddon had just passed through the area. No one but God could start a fire on that waterlogged altar. So verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Oh no, no. 
Elijah's just getting started. We're going to be here all night. Oh, man. Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Amen. What? That's it? That's all you got? No leaping and dancing, no shouting and crying, no slashing and bleeding? You call that a prayer? Answer me, O Lord, so that these people will know that you are God and are turning their hearts back again. Elijah had three and a half years to prepare for this prayer. It could have been the length of a doctoral dissertation. But he gets right to the point. It reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In football, one of the keys to victory is keeping your offense on the field. The team that has the ball the longest usually wins. And that's unfortunate because in our culture, that seems to be happening. Satan virtually monopolizes the time of possession, especially in the media, the movies, the magazines, music. He's been on the offensive for decades. It almost seems like resistance is futile. What's the use of praying? Well, Elijah went in with a hurry-up, no-huddle offense, and those false prophets never knew what hit them. Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Wow. In those dark ages, the light had finally come on, and it was overpowering in its brilliance. And it was checkmate. It was game, set, and match. Elijah had scored in sudden death overtime because God showed up. Then the fire of the Lord fell. It was like an exclamation mark that punctuated his proclamation that there is no other God apart from me. There, I am a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It was very clear who was God. The life of Elijah teaches us a lot about effective prayer. James says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, it's effective. And Elijah was just like us. He prayed earnestly. It's not about how long you pray or how loud you are. What matters mostly is your aim. Who are you praying to? Are you praying to the Lord? Or are you trying to impress the people who are listening to you? 
That's my problem, which is kind of sad because nobody has ever, been be has ever been impressed with my prayers. It's not eloquence, it's earnestness. In the dark ages, the decisive issues will be settled by prayer. Simple, direct, earnest prayer. Elijah was just like us, but he didn't pray like us. He prayed for divine judgment to fall. He prayed for the resurrection of the dead. And he prayed for fire to come down from heaven. Elijah prayed big prayers, and God answered. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's what we need to see in our generation, where most people are undecided. I don't want to talk about it. No one said anything. Our generation needs to see evidence that demands a verdict, where people will cry, the Lord, he is God. Can you imagine the look on Ahab's face when the fire fell? Or what that did to the prophets of Baal, the ones who were still standing, who hadn't been carried off on stretchers. And think of poor Jezebel. She must have been furious. She had dedicated herself with all her heart and with all her mind to erase any awareness of the Hebrew God from the land. But after all her efforts, it took about 30 seconds to sabotage her work. Doesn't take that long to turn the world upside down. Reminds me of uh, 1989, November the 9th, 1989. Going back to the things that would never happen. The top of my list of things that I'd never thought would happen happened on November the 9th, 1989. I never thought I'd see the Soviet Union collapse. I lived with that presence all my life. That was the ultimate stronghold of the enemy. Then all of a sudden, students were demolishing the Berlin Wall with sledgehammers. Nobody saw that coming. It just happened so fast. And even though Satan has erected impenetrable strongholds in our culture, like evolution and abortion, and materialism, and racism, and sexual immorality, and the drug culture. Those strongholds can collapse before Prime Minister Trudeau finishes next press conference on the legalization of marijuana. Then all the people saw this and they cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It is tragic in our own lives how Satan has dominated the time of possession in the hearts and minds of our loved ones that have gone astray. They almost seem quarantined against any Christian influence. But that can change in less than a New York minute when their soul finally begins to stir. We are eagerly waiting for that day. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, I think we have to do exactly what Elijah did. We have to pray for the fire to fall. 
Now, for that to happen, it means there has to be an altar with a sacrifice. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. If we are living sacrifices, then we need to invite God to use our lives as altars so that his fire can fall on us by the Holy Spirit and his reality and his radiance can shine through us as love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We can become the light of the world in a time of darkness. Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of light. Is God ready to have his fire fall? then we need to be ready to prepare an altar and a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So, anyone got a light? Father, we thank you that you have not abandoned us. You have not abandoned this generation. You have plans to turn everything around to bring people back to you just as you did in those days. And we just want to be a part of that process. Lord, may we be living sacrifices, prepared to receive the fire that will shine through our lives with a radiance that will let people know that Jesus is the light of the world. We pray this in his name. Amen.